This past week, Jerusalem has been the center of world news once again. President Donald Trump's decision to move America's embassy to Jerusalem has triggered a diplomatic crisis across the planet. A special emergency session of the Security Council, which attempted to condemn the USA for its recent move, was vetoed by the United States. The president of the Security Council stated the following. The result of the voting is as follows. 14 votes in favour, one vote against. The draft resolution has not been adopted owing to the negative vote of a permanent member of the Council. I give the floor to the representative of the United States. Thank you, Mr. President. I have been the proud representative of the United States at the United Nations for nearly a year now. This is the first time I have exercised the American right to veto a resolution in the Security Council. The exercise of the veto is not something the United States does often. We have not done it in more than six years. We do it with no joy, but we do it with no reluctance. What is troublesome to some people is not that the United States has harmed the peace process. We have, in fact, done no such thing. Rather, what is troublesome to some people is that the United States had the courage and honesty to recognize a fundamental reality. Jerusalem has been the political, cultural, and spiritual homeland of the Jewish people for thousands of years. They have had no other capital city. But the United States' recognition of the obvious, that Jerusalem is the capital and seat of the modern Israeli government, is too much for some. The United States will not be told by any country where we can put our embassy. A peace process that is damaged by the simple recognition that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel is not a peace process. It is a justification for an endless stalemate. The United States has done more than any other country to assist the Palestinian people, by far. Since 1994, we have given over $5 billion to the Palestinians in bilateral economic assistance, security assistance, and humanitarian assistance. The United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian Refugees operates schools and medical facilities throughout the region. It is funded almost entirely by voluntary contributions. Last year, the United States voluntarily funded almost 30% of UNRWA's budget. That's more than the next two largest donors combined. And it's vastly more than some of the members of this council that have considerable financial resources of their own. I'll be blunt. When the American people see a group of countries whose total contributions to the Palestinian people is less than 1% of UNRWA's budget, when they see these countries accuse the United States of being insufficiently committed to peace, the American people lose their patience. What we witnessed here today in the Security Council is an insult. It won't be forgotten. It's one more example of the United Nations doing more harm than good in addressing the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Today, for the simple act of deciding where to put our embassy, the United States was forced to defend its sovereignty. The record will reflect that we did so proudly. 
Today, for acknowledging a basic truth about the capital city of Israel, we are accused of harming peace. The record will reflect that we reject that outrageous claim. For these reasons, and with the best interests of both the Israeli and the Palestinian people firmly in mind, the United States votes no on this resolution. Thank you. And so the words of the prophet come true in our day and age. A city that was desolate for so long has become the tinderbox of world politics. Zechariah chapter 3, 12 verse 3 stated, In that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all people of the earth be gathered together against it. Well, the world was up in arms that the USA vetoed the Security Council resolution, so the Palestinians and several Arab states called for an emergency meeting of the United Nations General Assembly. President Trump had the following to say ahead of that meeting. For all of these nations that take our money and then they vote against us at the Security Council, or they vote against us potentially at the Assembly, They take hundreds of millions of dollars and even billions of dollars, and then they vote against us. Well, we're watching those votes. Let them vote against us. We'll save a lot. We don't care. But this isn't like it used to be, where they could vote against you, and then you pay them hundreds of millions of dollars, and nobody knows what they're doing. So, Nikki, that was the right message, and you and I agreed to be sent yesterday. And I've had a lot of good comment on it, believe me. People are tired of the United States, the people that live here are great citizens that love this country. They're tired of this country being taken advantage of, and we're not going to be taken advantage of any longer. When the General Assembly gathered together, several nations made statements ahead of the vote. Nikki Haley, the United States ambassador to the UN, reiterated much of what she stated in the Security Council, but added the following. I've often wondered why, in the face of such hostility, Israel has chosen to remain a member of this body. And then I remember that Israel has chosen to remain in this institution because it's important to stand up for yourself. Israel must stand up for its own survival as a nation, but it also stands up for the ideals of freedom and human dignity that the United Nations is supposed to be about. She ended her speech by stating, America will put our embassy in Jerusalem. That is what the American people want us to do. And it is the right thing to do. No vote in the United Nations will make any difference on that. But this vote will make a difference on how Americans look at the UN and on how we look at countries who disrespect us in the UN. And this vote will be remembered. What we are seeing is a seismic shift in the U.S. foreign policy as it aligns itself with Israel and moves away from those who do not share its values. Canada abstained from the vote and sooner or later will have to get off the fence. Britain, Australia and New Zealand will have to be humbled to make the shift in their policy too as the prophets require them to fall in line with the merchants of Tarshish and all the young lions thereof as described in Ezekiel 38 and verse 13. The Israeli ambassador to the UN, Danny Danon, clearly identified Israel's connection to the city of Jerusalem in the defense that he made. It is shameful for the United Nations that I must stand before you today. It is shameful that this meeting is even taking place. Jerusalem is the holiest place on earth for the Jewish people. 
It is the capital of the state of Israel, period. It is a fact that simply cannot be disputed. King David declared Jerusalem the city of the Jewish people 3,000 years ago. The Jewish Bible mentions Jerusalem 660 times. Our prayers recall Jerusalem's holy name over and over again. As our Prime Minister, the first Prime Minister, David Ben-Gurion, said, and I quote, Jerusalem is an inseparable part of the history of Israel, of the faith of Israel. I am holding an original coin. It's from 67 AD. It says in Hebrew, and I quote, freedom of Zion. Look in the envelope in front of you. You will see you have a replica of the coin. It is clear evidence from the time of our second temple. It proves the ancient connections of Jews to Jerusalem. Our bond to Jerusalem is unbreakable. No UNESCO declaration, no empty speeches, no General Assembly resolution will ever drive us from Jerusalem. Yet over and over again, those who took the podium talked about a return to the 1967 borders. Speaker after speaker remarked on this. For example, the delegate from Pakistan stated, A viable, independent and contiguous state of Palestine on the basis of internationally agreed parameters, the pre-1967 borders, and with Al-Quds al-Sharif as its capital, remains the only sustainable guarantee for securing and enduring peace in the Middle East. Really? A contiguous state of Palestine, meaning it's all connected, how is that going to happen? This idea has been around for a while. In fact, the same idea was put to Golda Meir in 1970 interview on a British television show. This is her response from back then. People say to us, pull back to the borders of 67, and then there will be peace. We were in the borders of 67, in June in 67, and in May 67. Why was there war? And immediately after the war, we said, let us sit down and negotiate peace. They didn't do it. And we say now, we've been saying it over and over again. Let us sit down and negotiate a peace which we say will be uh, with um, an attempt to have agreed borders. Well, that was back in 1970, 47 years ago. Now, things haven't changed much. Israel's ambassador asked the United Nations Assembly to consider its attempts to make peace over the past 20 years. How many times has Israel reached its hand in peace since 1997? How many times have we offered the Palestinians to join us in dialogue? How many times have these calls for peace been rejected? All of us, all of us have lost count. 
when Prime Minister Barak offered the Palestinians a state in 2000, we were met with suicide bombers on our buses and shootings in our streets. In 2005, Prime Minister Sharon disengaged from Gaza. He removed every single Israeli home. You will not find any settlements, any occupation in Gaza anymore. Since then, we have been attacked again and again with rockets and missiles aimed at our civilians. Yet, this body was silent. The United States simply stated a fact. They officially declared what has always been true. Jerusalem has been and always will be the capital of the state of Israel. The fact is, the United Nations is simply a court of man. This was made evident by the representative from Pakistan when she stated, This parliament of man, this parliament of the world, is the right and appropriate forum. They are a parliament of man, a parliament of the world, and they believe they have the right to decide the fate of the Jewish people. They could not be further from the truth. It is God that has brought back the Jews back to Jerusalem, as he foretold in the prophets almost 3,000 years ago. In Joel chapter 3, verse 1, he states, For behold, in those days and in that time when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, well, Israel's existence, its presence in Judea and Samaria, what the world calls the West Bank or the occupied territories, its recapturing of Jerusalem has come at the hands of Almighty God. No parliament of the world or parliament of man has any prerogative to change his decrees. He is the one that sets up kingdoms and puts men into power. As we read in Daniel chapter 4 verse 17, this matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and sets up over it the basest of men. The setting up of Donald Trump as President of the United States seems to go against all conventional wisdom, yet it happened, in spite of the rabid attempts of the world's media to have it otherwise. It is this man and his cabinet that have done what American presidents have feared to do for the past 20 years, recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, and move its embassy. God put him in place to do such a thing, and enraged the nations in so doing. All efforts to make peace have been empty since Israel's conception. The real reason isn't land, it's a hatred of the Jewish people, as Prime Minister Golda Meir stated 47 years ago in the same interview. Has there been a single moment since 1967 when you thought that the Arabs were ready to talk? No. Because this is something that must be realized by people in the world, and unless they realize that... uh, there is no understanding of the entire situation. This, their quarrel with the Arabs is not a quarrel for a piece of land. It's not for territory. It's not for anything concrete. They just refuse to believe that we have the right to exist at all. Well, that is the core of the issue. 
a hatred of God's chosen people. At the core of this is the enmity that began at the birth of mankind between the people that God chooses as his own, whom he calls the seed of the woman, and those who oppose his plan, who he terms as the seed of the serpent, as you read of in Genesis 3 verse 15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel." The fact is, there will never be true peace until Messiah comes, because man, left to his own devices, can never achieve it. True peace will be unattainable until this time. As he states, the wicked are like a troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Isaiah 57 verses 20 to 21. Well, even the Vatican's Monsignor Thomas Grisa took the podium at the General Assembly. He zeroed in on the real area of interest for the Vatican, and it isn't the plight of the Palestinians. They're just a political pawn to be played when necessary. The delegation of the Holy See wishes to express its appreciation to the member states for their commitment to averting new rounds of violence and to promoting dialogue and negotiations between Israelis and Palestinians on the peace process and the question of Jerusalem. At the same time, it wishes to recall the obligation of all nations to respect the historical status quo of the Holy City in accordance with relevant UN resolutions. Mr. President, the unique identity of Jerusalem, which is of universal interest, consists in its particular nature as a holy city, most sacred to the three monotheistic religions and a symbol for millions of believers worldwide who consider it their spiritual capital. Its significance goes beyond the question of borders, and this reality should be considered a priority in every negotiation for a political solution. The Holy See, therefore, calls for a peaceful resolution that respects the nature of Jerusalem, its sacredness and universal value, and reiterates that only an internationally guaranteed status can preserve its unique character and be an assurance of dialogue and reconciliation for peace in the region. Now, what must be noted in this speech is the identification of the church with Jerusalem. The Vatican uses the term universal several times. This is actually the meaning of the word Catholic. You see, it sees Jerusalem as a Catholic city, its own. They have long stated their goal for Jerusalem to be an international city, outside of the auspices of either the Arab or the Jew, but under its own control. This is what the Vatican means by a status quo. The idea goes back to the Resolution on Palestine adopted by the General Assembly December 11, 1948, where the Commission recommended a permanent international regime for the territory of Jerusalem and suggested Jerusalem be a corporis separatum, or a separate body, associated with neither the Jewish nor the Palestinian state. Well, the whole partition plan went out the window when the Arabs rejected it and attacked the infant nation of Israel in 1948. 
Since then, the Vatican has held on to this idea of a corpora separatum for Jerusalem. The historian Baron Avro Manhattan, in his 1982 book, The Vatican-Washington-Moscolo Alliance, identified the underlying issue in the Vatican's rejection of Jerusalem as being the capital of Israel. He stated, A powerful Israel as a visible expression of Zionism in territorial, political, and military matters in the long run was bound to antagonize the Vatican. The interests of each would clash religiously and politically. The result of the forthcoming hostility between the Vatican and Israel would mean the Vatican would be compelled to diminish its opposition to Soviet Russia. Indeed, the Church would seek a form of cooperation with her, the better to contain Israel's ambitions. Page 219. Well, this fact has happened, not with Soviet Russia, but Putin's Russian that's been rebuilt, which together with the Vatican stands as an opponent of Israel. The writer continues, In Vatican thinking, the stronger Israel became, the stronger would be the ambition of world Zionism, and vice versa. Apart from the geographical presence of a Jewish state in the Middle East, the most controversial characteristic of an Israeli establishment with Jerusalem as a territory and mystical omphalos, or a center, was its messianic nature, the central focus of the Hebrew doctrinal dream. Because of this, the Vatican would not, could not, and would not tolerate the establishment of an Israel which claimed messianic privileges, or rather messianic uniqueness, and which therefore would compete with the Roman Catholic Church as the center of a future spiritual kingdom, end quote. Well, Israel has become exactly that, a unique fulfillment of Bible prophecy, which validates the notion of Messiah coming to Jerusalem and establishing a kingdom. The prophets that foretold the return of the Jews to Judah and Jerusalem and the rest of the nation, as we read in Micah 4, verse 6 to 7, in that day, saith the Lord, I will establish, I will assemble her that halteth, and I will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted, and I will make her that halted a remnant, and her that was cast off a strong nation, and the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth forever. Well, the same prophet told of the future center of the world religion being in Jerusalem and not Rome, as we read in Micah 4 verses 1 to 2. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and the people shall flow unto it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem." Well, this will be the impetus for the world peace, not the United Nations or the Vatican that is only trying to maintain its influence and power in the world. Manhattan summed up the issue when he wrote, In Vatican eyes, therefore, the millennial learning for a global Hebrew theocracy represents a deadly threat to the eschatological teachings of the Catholic Church. When translated into concrete political terms, such a view spells not only rivalry, but implacable enmity. The enmity will translate into war, as Manhattan goes on to predict. 
The dawning of such a day would herald the coming together of Russia and the Vatican. The two, although remaining basically hostile, nevertheless would cooperate in their joint opposition to the other two imperialisms, namely that of Zionism, as opposed to the Vatican, and that of capitalist America, as opposed to communist Russia. End quote. Well, while Russia has dropped the communist mantle, its opposition to America remains, and the Bible predicts that it will be this that leads a last crusade into the Middle East, as the prophet Joel continues, For behold, in those days and in that time, when I bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations, and I will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will plead with them there for my people, for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered amongst the nations and parted my land. Well, God challenges the nations to come to a general assembly, not at the United Nations headquarters, but in Jerusalem, where he will preside as judge. As we read in Joel 3 verse 9, Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles, prepare war, wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up, Beat up your beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am so strong. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye nations, and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be wakened and let them come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge the nations round about. Joel chapter 3 verses 9 to 12. This will be the point of divine intervention, when the mighty ones will come down, and God will judge all nations who assemble themselves against Israel and against Jerusalem to battle. We are seeing the justification of that future general assembly of nations beginning now. They will come, and they will fall upon the mountains of Israel, and God will be victorious over the arrogant who will go against his will. The end result truly will be peace on earth. As Micah continues in Micah chapter 4, he shall judge amongst many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. That is the true peace on earth that we pray for. A peace which is the result of righteous rule of Messiah in Jerusalem on David's throne. As 2017 draws to a close, we know we are in a jubilee period. We know the Messiah is soon to come, and we look up and lift up our heads and gird up our loins, for our redemption and the redemption of the nation of Israel draws near. For the Bible in the News, this has been Jonathan Bowen joining you.